Around the NFL Podcast has less turnovers than Patrick Mahomes. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. Dan Hans is here. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Let's take it easy on the Patrick Mahomes slander because he took care of business. As Ill, ill-timed, ill-timed. Right, Ill-timed. sometimes the, the money drop is like perfectly timed for the night. Dropping it when uh, you just put a 40-burger on the line doesn't really It's like our producer watched like the first like 25 minutes <laughs> of the late game on Sunday and said, oh, that Fair. will work. The Steelers win. True. It's a conversation starter. And when I'm going through all the list of money drops and how they're labeled, I'm like, Patrick Mahomes has a couple of turnovers, but right. you guys have zero because you're perfect right. all the time. Well, we, we, so we don't, we don't like, technically let's, have the ability to Let's look to at like this sort of hot topic that was sent in around week eight. Let's use that one. Let's go. Yeah, but also also <laughs> this. I thought you'd be like, okay, hey, this is a perfect way to start. Patrick Mahomes, how many turnovers did he have tonight? And it'd be like he didn't. He had a way better game. Like you, you could have rolled with it. So you wanted us to like, lead with right. one of the more like no, le- least – noteworthy games of the weekend it's a one-off also it's a compliment to you guys you guys don't have any turnovers i feel like so we should just start the show over it almost feels like i mean i don't know how we dig out of this hole speaking of turnovers a ricky turnover to start the show um erica thank you i I see where you're going with it don't stop dreaming with your dreams because they're very they're important right this dream is dead this dream turned out to a nightmare for the rest of the audience and us, but we're going to push forward. Wild card weekend in the books. There's, of course, one more game to be played in this round of the playoffs. Cardinals-Rams on Monday night, but all the weekend games are in the books, and we will dig in on every one of them. Some really good stuff um, to uh, get through here. Not a week, Mark, not a weekend of incredible upsets necessarily, but memorable moments for sure. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say three of the games were um, they were all watchable because it's the playoffs and they feel a little different, but totally non-competitive. Uh, t- the other two, I don't know. There's something obviously nostalgic we can get into about the Bengals uh, situation and the Cowboys Niners game. To me, was thoroughly enjoyable and uh, honestly, aesthetically beautiful between oh, the yeah. uniform matchup and the way that the sun splashed field presented itself to the viewer. I thought it was mm. a perfect uh, a perfect time of day to play that game, although the sun did obviously cause some and, issues. Yeah, the blinded a, a, the yeah. home team's receiver on a crucial third down. Not but, our fault, not our problem. And, and the but, giant video wall knocked down a punt by the home I team. Loved. But other than I that, loved. <laughs> I loved it, that. It totally stopped the Cowboys drive. That really is something uh, they, they should look into. Yeah, it was, you know, it's like a... A mediocre wild card week, and it happens. I think you had two good games. One very interesting game, 49ers Cowboys, which I don't know if it was a classic, but it was interesting. And I think the Bills Pats actually qualified as in, into my theory that some blowouts are entertaining. Like you will remember that performance. Oh, I agree on that. I agree on that. Part. Right. That game. It can be, yeah. Like that. I don't think that game was a worse game than Bengals Raiders necessarily. Like it, it, it provided a lot. And then uh, two, two sleepers. I ne- I never like quite like bought into the theory that you guys put out there about how blowouts can be a lot of fun until the Patriots were on the wrong side of one in prime time on Saturday. You, you were night. enjoying that so much. I mean, we were all texting and I was like Dan is rolling right now and in just in adoring this I, experience. I that ha- blowouts sometimes what I love about it. There is just oh, utter yeah. dominance unfurled on someone. Stop it with that soundbite. 
and we and we just went through um, our first regular season without Wes, right. and and Saturday obviously began our first postseason without him, and I thought there was just uh, something like cosmically so right about how it all the way all things work together here, and um, and it, it it turned into the Bengals kicking things off in the traditional West of his time slot. Uh, and obviously it was kind of like a nod to Wes's memory, but also something, I don't know, man. It was beautiful how the idea of what West of his was transformed on Saturday because uh, it, it kind of started with Wes in, from this the cynical celebration of Bengals' futility, and then Wes shared that with the world, and it became like one of the more enduring uh, bits on the podcast uh, to you know this celebrating this exciting young ascendant team this organization that Wes fell in love with as a boy and it kind of that's it was the bangles of the old days that made Wes love football and all of a sudden they're playing in this game Greg and they're winning the game and Cincinnati is celebrating and the head coach is walking through local bars handing out game balls and it just felt so perfect uh, when you think about Wes, and that—that that is, uh, that's the biggest memory for me, and I'm sure you guys as well. Yeah, next week they're right back in the West of Us slot. First, first Saturday. I mean, I guess it's not West of Us anymore, but you could have like you could have run that the simulation of where they put these games a million times, and they're putting Bengals Titans in the first Saturday afternoon slot. That's your takeaway. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I figure we're getting we're getting to the Bengals game. Honestly, I was like, I enjoyed it, but I also was kind of pissed. Like I, I had a hard time with it. I think this month is going to be hard on some level. I mean, that's just you know being real. Like, like I, I enjoyed the Bengals of it all. They're a fun team, and it was fun. It's fun to text with Nick and everything. But I'm also just like pissed. You know, pissed he's not here to enjoy it. And, you yeah. know, you see the picture of Link, like Link, like that is bittersweet in, in one picture. I, I look at that picture of Link. He's so beautiful wearing that Bengal shirt. I just wish, you know, Chris is sitting there, sitting there watching it with him. But it, it's it's we're all we're all rooting for the Bengals now. We're all Bengals fans. I think one thing about it, you know, we all wore the the white shoes that we wore at Wes's wedding and I, I, texting with Phil and Nick throughout the day. Um it added layers to it, and, and I'm with you. I mean, obviously, we all agree that there's this intense sort of bittersweet nature to it, but like Lakeisha was rooting so hard for the Bengals that it, it just, um, even seeing the, on Twitter, people responding to a couple of Westivist tweets, it's just like, this continues to be someone whose impact, I, I think he never would have even understood, he would have never imagined it would be as big as it was, and it, and it goes beyond the opponents, the games, the time slot or anything. And I can't help but think that wherever Wes is, like there's a little bit of, you know, he might be, have, might've have had a football God in the headlock to make this happen. And I kind of love that he did. <laughs> it's funny yeah. too, because it's been five years since the Bengals actually have made it to the playoffs. So it was a tradition for four straight years early in our podcast. Uh, and it, it's been so long. And yet like the, the strength of the branding <laughs> has has lasted with five years of no West of us uh, until this until this yeah, week. And you know, if you know Lakeisha at all, she's a spiritual woman, and you know, ever since West passed, uh, she's made note of butterflies around her. 
Uh, and the, the cameras actually catch butterflies on the field, a butterfly on the field when Evan McPherson was out on the field uh, tacking on points for the Bengals. So it was just kind of like, man, yes, it's, 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 it's messed up that Wes isn't with us, but I, it's just it's, it's nice to think about him um, and, um, and remember him and how much he meant to all of us. So that was Well, and a, that was by Saturday. the way, a, a butterfly in like 21-degree weather um, does feel kind of spiritual to me. That's not a normal hangout for a butterfly. So there's good something call. bigger going on here. That was a good breakdown. What do they call? What is the study of insects? Etymology. I believe so, but not my field. Right. So we're going to throw it to you on the etymology corner throughout today's episode. Right. We're going to get into all definitely the games. Not, definitely, sit- is it etymology? Maybe I don't know. I'm, I should Maybe. know this. You should. I and etymology, feel like we all etymology should. Per Ricky. Yeah. Um, uh, so why don't we start? Uh, right here on Saturday with the Cincinnati Bengals hosting their first uh, playoff game in some time and looking for their first win in 31 years. Here come the Raiders. Let's dig in. The play clock at three. Shotgun snap. Carr throws into traffic. Intercepted. Jermaine Pratt has the football. Coffin nails. (laughs) Bam, bam, bam. How about that? Love it. Oh, yeah, of course the bongos for the Bengals. Dan Horde, WCKY. And, that, you know, that's one of my favorite tropes of the radio guys. When the color guys are just screaming, they, they're no longer doing their job on a fundamental level, and they're just cheering in the press box wildly. I love it. Dave Lapham doing that. Jermaine Pratt sealed it with the fourth down interception in the final seconds, sealing the first playoff victory in 31 years for the Cincinnati Bengals. 26-19 over the Las Vegas Raiders. In the wild card opener from Cincinnati, Joe Burrow led the way for an efficient offense. They scored on six drives. And when the offense stalled in the fourth quarter, the defense r- raised up just in time, uh, raised up just in time to ensure that first victory in 31 years. Mark, um, because the Raiders were involved, it, it wasn't going to be easy because the Raiders showed us time and time again over these last five weeks that they were going to be game and hang around. Uh, but in the end, the better team won this game. Yeah, and I think it's clearly the team that I was ready to see move on because I know that the Bengals had their troubles on offense uh, in this. I mean, Burrow early on looked dialed in and was throwing some beautiful passes. Jamar Chase had a big game, but it seemed like they became a little bit more unhinged uh, as the game went on, and in, in, in the Las Vegas defense responded, I'd like to see you know next week that the Bengals aren't kicking field goals from the 13, 12, and 10-yard line, that they complete mm. those drives. I think they will. Um, but, I mean, I come out of it a little concerned for them on defense, too, because Trey Hendrickson, who is such a difference maker, left with a concussion. Mike Daniels was hurt. Larry Ogunjobi. And I think that changed that tenor of the game a little bit, too, because they were so reduced on defense. And we don't really know exactly what's going to happen with those three guys, too. But I'll let you guys unfold the whole whistlegate business. I mean, the game turned truly bizarre. And, I mean, it, honestly, as it, I thought, it, speaking of Westivis, because it looked early on like it was just going to be a Bengals Roll on, roll on to victory type scenario. It got a little too close for comfort, and I thought it just started to have a west of his feel to it in the third quarter, going on to the fourth until they closed the job. I would mm. hate, like to see them not have to punt the ball inside two minutes also and give the ball back to the Raiders for what almost became a uh, topsy-turvy game-winning drive there. Yeah, I thought Zach Taylor got a little tight in the second half. You know, there's a couple times he... 
he punted. He chose to, you know, run the ball in, instead of really trusting Burrow to, to finish the game out um, on, you know, first and second down with, with a couple minutes to go. The Raiders have to look at this game as a missed opportunity. I mean, you're, play, you're playing a team that couldn't rush the passer all day, including with Hendrickson. I mean, they had a couple plays early, but for the most part, they weren't getting pressure on. And the second half was, was as little pass rush as you'll see out of an NFL team for half of a game that that you'll see in an entire year. I mean, there was literally no pass rush. You're missing they're missing all these players and the Raiders still couldn't uh punch it in. I I I know it's they've overachieved, but they were like a sloppy team. They were terrible in turnovers and penalties for the whole year and Derek Carr knows you don't get chances like this too often. This was his first game in in a long career uh and I I think as great as they, they played uh, to get there, or at least like as much guts they showed, I think they'll look at this as a missed opportunity. Like this was a game they could have won. The play uh, that Mark is talking about is uh, late in the first ha- half, Joe Burrow rolls right to avoid pressure. As he's closing in on the sideline, <clears throat> he gets the ball off. Um, you hear a whistle and uh, it, the whistle was, I guess, Burrow stepping out of bounds Tyler Boyd catches the 10-yard pass in the back of the end zone, builds it to a 26 lead, and we love Mike Tirico, uh, and we don't love Drew Brees so much, who had a rough uh, playoff debut, I thought, in the booth. Uh, but the the NBC team goes silent on the issue, even though everyone's thinking the same thing, including Ricky Hollywood, who texted us moments before they came back on air 15 minutes later and said, oh, by the way, yeah, there was a whistle thing, and they throw to the referee in the in the booth, and he says, yeah, that should have been a dead ball at that well, point. because they're there, though. No one heard it there. Like, I think that was why. Because right? they're in the crowd. I, no, I think I think Breeze said he heard it. I think he said he heard it after okay. the fact too. Well, and they I have the they have the television copy too. I mean, I get why the crowd right. would. And they got know, people but... in their ear. They have a whole truck. There's, sure. that, it was a terrible job by the broadcast. Let's face it. But here's the one thing I think a little, a little bit overblown because the whistle was so late and strange that it wasn't right when he was on the sideline. It was when the ball was out of his hand. It was already crossed the plane of the goal line. Boyd was just about to catch it. I don't think it changes anything uh, personally. And I don't. Th- when I think about the Raiders, like should they have won this game and they got screwed? That's not how I look at it. It's just unfortunate that the officials had such a poor game. Well, they had such a bad game that the Jerome Boger crew. And you know, Dan, I thought you had a great comment because we've talked about this before when we were texting. That why do they cobble? these playoff crews together as yeah, a reward for the best officials, because who is not rewarded? We aren't like that was the sloppiest playoff game officiating wise in a while. And I mean, it was just, they seem to be so out of sorts. I mean, honestly, if they were to blow the whistle because they thought he was out of bounds, the replay does not show him even being close to out of bounds. Right, Secondly, the isn't problem. there <laughs> right? There's an emphasis with these refs, to, you know, especially because it's so controversial and we can replay everything. Don't blow the whistle in these situations because let replay or something else take care of it. It was just a botch job. I thought it was a bad situation for the Raiders, but I'm with you. I don't know if it totally changed the game because he wasn't out of bounds. I'll use like a a basketball analogy here, and let's use the Milwaukee Bucks since they're the defending champions. Like, would you rather take the starting five of the Bucks having played together all season in a a one-and-done playoff game or just like a collection of like some of the best 
uh, players in the conference to go against the Bucks for one game. Now, maybe that collection of great players beats the Bucks, but there's something to be said for a, a crew working together all season and all the rhythms that go through that. That's it. That always struck me as odd. But well, there's uh, there's also know. something to be said for not giving Jerome Boger a playoff game, which he almost never gets. I, I didn't. I wouldn't have known those stats. Well, then get unless, him out of the league. Unless I mean, someone, that, like, unless based someone... off of grading, though, isn't it? Why are right, we? Right. Why are he's, we hiding? He's only Jerome had Boger? a handful over the over the years, and and I guess almost never like to the divisional round is when they start um, advancing. And by the way, etymology is the study of words. I knew I knew something seems wrong. Entomology uh, would well, be well, no, I said, us I because said in our chat she wrote etymology. You so. guys misheard me. I said entomology. Oh, okay. There we go. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> I almost got it right. That counts. It's like Isn't a Mark me? Sessler prop bet. Ricky, you know, you, buried, almost you, right. you buried us in this text thread to the right of my screen here saying yeah, etymology. Yeah, I, I forgot the N. I was just yeah, that's my bad, Mark. My bad. Ouch. All right, well, ouch, we're ouch, good. Ouch, ouch, I just, you know, I just sure. took us Anyway, so, uh, yeah, so you have that situation, uh, but ultimately, you know, Zach Taylor, like, I agree, uh, Greg, he got a little tight there. They ran the ball twice when they had a chance to kill the game and then didn't convert on third down, kicked the ball away. And then not only do they give up a completion right away for 15 yards, they also get a late hit. So it, it, all of a sudden, blink, it's 30 yards, and, and the Raiders are at the 35 um, of the Bengals. But you got to give Cincinnati credit. They stepped up. They got the stop at the end, and it, it really did. It set off like a – it's interesting because last year, the feel-good story was the Browns in, in the city of Cleveland – um, and now this year, it's almost like Cincinnati has taken that spot where people are really appreciating that city and the, the underdog nature of it and how they are, had been the, the lesser than for so many years in that division. And now it feels like uh, there's a lot of public sentiment behind Cincinnati and the Bengals as a team to get behind in the AFC. I thought they also, I mean, you know, I, I've kind of in the past, because when your team is winning three games a year, it might not be the most rough and tumble throng of viewers of all time inside the stadium. They've not been a place that you were scared to go play. I thought they made life very difficult for Derek Carr yesterday. Um, obviously, was super emotional. It was the biggest Bengals home crowd for a playoff game ever. And I kind of thought, had the same thought as you, Dan. Like, wow, I kind of wish things could have flipped. Not for the Browns, but for Wes, who one of the last shows we did with him was after that Browns playoff game. That he could have wit- witnessed this instead of that. I mean, he was very... Um, you know, kind about all that. And I think he knew what it meant to me and to the show to some degree, but I would rather have him see a Bengals win than a Browns win. The, the Bengals crowd was awesome. I mean, they made a huge difference. Carr was pretty rattled. Carr really finished the season, I think, struggling. Yeah, I wouldn't say Saturday was his worst game, but it was more like the things that you think of him as strengths poise, you know, ability to control, the, you know, what's going on at the line of scrimmage, things like that, that he was struggling with, whether it was like delay of games, not getting the plays out, like managing uh, the situations, throwing short of the sticks, by the way, on the last play of the game. I mean, that Terrible. was kind of un- unforgivable. Um, he ended up with 16 turnovers and 12 touchdowns in his last 11 games. So that's like a pretty long stretch. And there was a report from Ian Rappaport, uh, that his future will be tied to the next coach. And the way I read that is, you know, the ownership. Like, who else is that even talking about? You know what I mean? Like, that has to be coming from the highest of levels. And ownership there has been, I think, the key to why Carr 
has been part of these reports year after year. I mean, Gruden was part of it too, but I mean, literally Mark Davis spoke publicly about wanting to get Tom Brady in front of Derek Carr a couple of years ago. I'll never, I, this, I'll never forget that. And the fact that these reports are coming out, it's just like one more quarterback to throw in this pile and maybe none of them get moved. But the fact that Rapsheet put that report out before this game, not after, but before this game, um, I, I don't think it's, it's not coming out of nowhere. I mean, that's a good, that's a good like scoop and nugget for Ian to put out there on, the, on game day. But like, you, then you take a step back and think, all right, let's say the Raiders don't want to have Derek Carr on their team anymore because he's the reason why they're not a better team. Uh, who's the upgrade from Derek Carr for them? Right. There's it not doesn't sound like options. Russell Wilson's going anywhere. I mean, anyway, we have plenty of time to talk about uh, what happens next with that team. Let's hear from Zach Taylor, uh, who, by the way, that was not, I wasn't exaggerating. He actually, late into the night was going to different Cincinnati bars, handing out game balls and giving speeches uh, to drunk uh, Cincinnati. Uh, what do you call it? Cincinnatians? Cincinnati tie? Ooh, I like that. Etymology? I don't know. Let's play that, Ricky. <laughs> Some of them may not understand the significance of what happened today. I think this, this city can finally exhale and just enjoy this team for what it is and take that pressure off those, those last 31 years. And, you know, I, I think that's, that today was significant for a lot of people. All right, so Cincinnati moves on. They get the Tennessee Titans, as Greg said, in the early window, mm. Saturday, 1.30 p.m. kickoff from Nissan Stadium in Nashville. And uh, we'll see where the public is. I'm w- I wonder where the desert is, Greg. I'm going to say, let me see, early line, let's say, ooh, close, close to a pick em. I'll say one and a half. Uh, Tennessee's laying one and a mm. half. I think it's... Well, no, yeah, the Tennessee, I think by three. Ooh, that's coming down. People are going to get, people are hot about the Cincinnati team. I think it was actually two and a half, at least initially, and and it's moved up to three. At least, but uh, one little one little around. nugget um, for those who for those Cincinnatians or whatever we are calling them. Do you want to know the three bars that he went to, Zach Taylor? Yeah, of course. We like dive this bars. Is, we like to hear about that stuff. This is history. Uh, it was the Pontiac. It was Walt's hitching post in Mount Lookout Tavern. Ooh, nice. We um we uh like I said, haven't had a West of Us in five years, but we I think we did four different podcasts uh, on the west of this weekends usually they come on the sundays and we do uh have a clip from from west from the last one oh this was the west of us to end all west of us right. i mean you could not script a more fascinating ending unless it was that if Montez perfect wasn't touched down and he really did just run out the end zone and get penalized that would have been the best way to end it <laughs> he but, ran like all the way to the locker room but this was a pretty good ending just the total uh, and comprehensive meltdown of discipline from two players who have been known to have meltdowns of disciplines in the in the past and Vontez perfect who plays out of control frankly <laughs> and I think has been for a couple of years the dirtiest player in the NFL you love to kill Perfect. Like, yeah, he like did. <laughs> and he said it right there. I said it right there. The West of us to end all West of us. So maybe that was the okay. final chapter and it's now turned into something else. We love you, Chris Wessling. All right, let's uh, move on. Uh, we have more games to get to. So coming up next, we are going to move to the Sunday slate and the game in Dallas. Ooh, the Shanahan's are flying. Two receivers go left, including Tony Pollard. It's a designed run for Dak Prescott, 30, 25. Gets hit from behind by Aziz Alshire. they got to get up and clock the ball. Five, four, three, 
two. Dak will, will he get it off in time? No. With one second to go. Did he spike the ball in time or no, not? No, he did not. He did not. The 49ers have won the game. What do you got, Alex Camp? Did he spike it in time? 49ers are Jimmy Ward's got his helmet off, ready to celebrate. Alex Kemp, is the game over? That's well, the end of the game. The game is over. The 49ers have won. They're on their way to Lambeau. Oh, my goodness. Greg Papa with a call. KNBR with Tim Ryan there. Yes, Dak on a design running play. Runs up the middle, slides down. They spot the ball, but it was the Cowboys that spotted the ball, not a game official. The game official has to run up. He taps the ball. He's getting in the way of everything. And by the time they finally get the snap off, it was triple zeros. And the Dallas Cowboys at home once again come up short in a huge spot. The 49ers hold on for a 23-17 win over America's team who go yet another year without a Super Bowl appearance. I think it's up to 27 now. Uh, Greg, this always profiled as a bad matchup for the Cowboys because the 49ers, the way they played the game, the victory they were coming off against the Rams. Uh, but for the for the most of this game, I think what really struck me was just how much better the 49ers looked than Dallas, which is kind of a role re- reversal from what most of the season was. Right. It was not a, two teams that looked evenly matched. You know, for most of the game, you know, the 49ers averaged two more yards per play than the Cowboys. That that changed a little bit towards the end, but it it almost further highlighted the game management fiasco at the end because it was on both sides. I feel like that, that ending was kind of perfect for this game because it was both teams struggling in terms of situational football for, for the Cowboys it was mostly penalties. I mean, just crazy penalties, the Randy Gregory penalty. I know oh you talked God. about on sky that kept the 49ers on the field, all the holding calls that took back uh, big plays by the Cowboys. But in that final situation, I do kind of want to start there since that's where the play is. I, what, what is going on? Like at, it is, <laughs> it is sort of like, a cliche. I don't know if this is true, but they always say this. Players always say this. It's like if it's under six, if it's under sixteen seconds or so, then you, you got to get it out of like you don't end up running another play inbounds. Like you don't feel comfortable that you're going to have enough time to get up, spike it, and all of that. And for him to for Dak to do that on a design run from the forty when they had fourteen seconds left made no sense at all because you could have gone two Hail Marys there or whatever you want to call two throws into the end zone. So you get two bites at the apple in that situation. Or if you want, you could try to move it forward two different times. You could have gotten three plays in there by going to the sidelines. And yet that like it was just a totally illogical play. All right. Do you want to hear from Mike McCarthy on this? Because Zaddy Mac had something to say about the what they were thinking here. Let's listen to Zaddy Mac. It's like anything else. Do you, do you want to be running the Hail Mary play from the 50-yard line or you want to be running five verticals from the 25-yard line? So that's the decision. It's the right decision. Um, you know, it's just like anything. It's, you know, the, the execution between us and the officiators putting the ball obviously wasn't in tune, wasn't, you know, we shouldn't have had any problem getting the ball spotted there. Just, if that's, is that the quote you're looking for? So 
Mark McCarthy's saying there, we we knew what we were doing. Wasn't we, at the fifty. This is McCarthy. This is McCarthy. He always makes these little lies. Like when people do that, like you weren't at the fifty. You're <laughs> well, exaggerating he's saying, to make your point. In fairness, I think he's saying once you finish the seven step drop back or however far you have to set up a hail mary, you're throwing it fifty yard okay. air yards. Okay. But Mark, at the same time, like he's not giving any inch here. He's putting the game on the officials uh, entire, entirely. There, I don't think that was the right play. I, I thought their response. Um, Dak Prescott's post-game presser, and, and just most especially Mike McCarthy's, um, told me so much about the Cowboys. I heard no accountability. It's it's blame. It's looking elsewhere. Um, this was a totally bizarre final play. I, Mike Silver said it was called by Kellen Moore. I mean, I think the thing is, if you're Dak Prescott, if anything, you slide earlier, you get the ball spotted, spiked, and bang, you go from there. But I'm with you, Greg. I just think you take as many shots as you can at the end zone. And it capped off a totally sloppy performance where, I, again, it raises questions for me about Mike McCarthy. He seemed totally out of his element. I know he gets a lot of you know fire, but at this point, it's like what this, this was the biggest moment. Jerry Jones called it the worst, one of the worst losses he could ever recall. It's like I, I know he's all hyperbole. But this was meant to be the team that was never going to do this. And then all from the first minute on, it felt like a total collapse job. But and wasn't just, this kind I, of predictable, too? The, well, I mean, yes, you and I both the picked, them, picked the it's Niners the for that reason. Because it's not just, well, yes, the Cowboys as, as an entity are, have been prone to this for decades now. But even this team... The way they played down the stretch, it always felt like this was in them to come up small in a moment like this. Like they were a flat track bully. And now here are the big, bad San Francisco 49ers who go into the building with 90,000 people going nuts and say, we don't care. We're not afraid of these guys. And they go right down the field, score, go right down the field, score again. And to uh, Dallas's credit, they at least were able to stopped the bleeding enough to make it a game again, and Jimmy G played a role in that. He played overall a solid game, but through another one of those Garoppolo picks that I think is eventually going to get him killed One of the, you know down the stretch in the playoffs this year. Garoppolo will make a mistake that ends San Francisco's season, but not yet because the Cowboys weren't able to come back and really make the Niners pay. I, I think, with Greg, without, without stressing the, the Dallas side of things too much, I think that's such a, a, a juicy storyline to take <laughs> out of this game. Just the utter flatness that they showed up for a playoff game with all after all the buildup through the season. And it was just so on brand and so disappointing. Right. Well, this was a 49ers defense game to me. And and that is showing the Cowboys offense to be the front runners that you're talking about. Like if the if the matchup here was Cowboys offense, you know, ne- needs to carry the day. They were no match for most of this game for San Francisco's defense, which lock, lost Nick Bosa. Fairly early, he was having a, a, a good game early, leaves with a concussion, and the defensive line for the 49ers terrorized them. I mean, they hit. I mean, <laughs> this this felt like a playoff game. They were hitting. The Cowboys' defense, I thought, was pretty physical, too. They settled down once they got almost a little over-aggressive, and Shanahan had some great play calls, and, and Jimmy G and, and some conservatism by Shanahan helped them stay in it. But, like, they were hitting, and until the very end of that game, the Cowboys' offense never got going. I mean, this was supposed to be the strength of their team. Dak, Amari, CeeDee Lamb, going up against some guys on the outside for San Francisco, who should be 
attackable, and yet Dak just didn't have the time. Dak wasn't very accurate, like wasn't making good decisions, didn't have time back there, and they were just bum rushed. It wasn't. It didn't feel like they were they were two evenly matched teams. You would not have thought that the Cowboys were the favorites or in the home team. And I think you got Debo Samuel uh, emerging again as the most watchable player in the league. I mean, they just use him in fascinating ways. He's so powerful. And I know that interception was such an on-brand mistake by Jimmy G, but he early on, especially on third down, like to Juwan Jennings and others, just made a a couple super money throws and some great catches too. Brandon Ayuk, that whole crew played at their best where someone... Who is who, you know, how do we explain how CeeDee Lamb was essentially kidnapped before the game? The guy is a no-show in this performance. And all week long, it's talking about how the Cowboys wide receivers are going to dominate San Francisco. It makes total sense. And it doesn't happen at all. It's like San Francisco is more than the sum of their parts on defense. Debo, yeah, Debo Samuel, it's amazing. It's hard to do this. He scores a touchdown every week, whether it's uh, as a receiver or as a rusher, sometimes as a passer. He's a remarkable player. And it's like, yeah, you, you miss most. You miss Nick Bosa for most of this game. Uh, George Kittle's held to one catch and yet you still dominate. So you have to feel really good as a 49ers fan coming out of this game that you, this could be a, a potential uh, deep run in the playoffs because I don't, I don't really imagine as we look ahead at their schedule, they're heading to Green Bay uh, and they'll be playing uh, primetime uh, on Fox on Saturday night. I don't think that's a team that goes into Green Bay and is intimidated. I think uh, I think the only thing that holds them back is is Garoppolo able to keep up with Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to keep up, but limit the mistakes because the rest of the team is peaking at the right time on offense and defense. They're really dangerous right now. Right. The, the offense seems to play good for about a half, you know, at a time. Yeah, that's been for a month straight. The Tennessee game, the Houston game, the Rams game, this game. It's tough to get four quarters out of this offense, especially with Jimmy G. He could have put the game away with that with overthrowing Ayuk, who was wide open earlier in the fourth quarter. Uh, when they took the false start to give the Cowboys the ball back, like that was him being a little too just jumpy and not letting his offensive lineman get set before the snap, and they, they take a penalty there. So their offense, to me, has great athletes, and they can put together a good – Half, but I think what's making them special right now is their defense and their coaching, their defensive coaching specifically. Like D'Amico Ryan's called the blitz at, at the perfect time there at the end of that game. But there's something about the way that they coach guys up front, really in the front seven, that year after year, it doesn't matter who it is. Like you bring in a guy like Ebicom ends up making a huge impact. They bring in o- Omenahu from Houston halfway through the season. He had a, an awesome game. Armstead was awesome. Dre Greenlaw, who's been good for them, missed the entire season, came back two weeks ago. Al Shahir, Fred Warner, like to me, that's kind of where they won this game. They and that's where you could you know keep the Packers under wraps at least next week. To uh... mm. Before we move on to telecast related notes, one uh, uh, CBS gets Jimmy Garoppolo immediately after the game. Tra- Tracy Wolfson does the interview, and Jimmy G is in full uh, Patriot Way mode, says nothing interesting. And then as soon as the interview ends, they keep the camera on him with the parabolic mics around, and Garoppolo screaming into the stands, "We own this place. This is our house." <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny. You would say nothing into the microphone, but when the right. camera's right on him, 14 seconds later, he's screaming that the, the Niners now own Jarrow World. And uh, my other telecast note is uh, 
uh, can we get Jay Feely out of here? Can I just can I play oh, my favorite? Oh. My fa- I'm sorry, Greg. I don't want to step on the toes of anyone in your industry. But can can we listen to Jay Feely's analysis on field goals today? All right, Jay. He's already made one from outside 50. This is 52 this time. Well, hopefully you didn't jinx him, Jim. Talk, Jim, talking about how successful he's been. Good as goal, Robbie's been. There's the kick. And the gold rush continues for San Francisco. <laughs> Nance is waiting. He makes a comment about jinxing. And then Nance leaves the mic open. Jay, say something. We're throwing it to you for some type of information. Nothing. Nothing, Sessler. Isn't part of the problem that, like, a separate analyst just to discuss field goals? I know that's a specialty and that's how they use them. It's like, I get it. It's okay. But, like, the topic does not stir my imagination to begin with. I don't need a separate analyst to come in and hit me with that. Like, no, that's different than the kickers club. Kicker's club is interesting, and that's well. It's, it was. You know. a, it's like okay. We thought you know they put Pereira on the game. That was that was a great uh, idea. Great addition. And and now you got the rules experts on everything. So they're trying to go to the next. I think they could use an analytics person if it was the right person in some spots. That could be something. But they tried to get cute with this kicking thing with Feely, and it's it's not well. It's idea. possible too. And I don't want to pile on Jay Feely. It's possible if maybe another former kicker was doing the same job, you might get something out of it. I, I just think it's yeah, yeah it's a niche I think it's topic. superfluous. It's just it's too niche. Like uh. I, don't, I don't need it in my ear during the game necessarily. I uh, can Kyle Shanahan. You're such a good, he's such a good coach, like such a good play caller. Obviously good at like the organizational aspect, because I, I think it's a credit to him that the coaching staff does so well. Def, def, I know he's not a defensive coach, but like the fact that he's restocked that group and they've like, that's, he gets credit for that too. But let's go for some fourth and ones now and then. Yeah. I mean, you're early in the game. They have the Cowboys on their heels and he, instead of, you know, going for fourth and one so close in the red zone, he kicks a field goal. And then late in the game where you basically need a yard to put the Cowboys away, he punts it back there. It'd be one thing if your offense wasn't rolling, but but they were. Let's let's uh, it's I like wonder McVay if and him are weirdly conservative when it comes to that. I wonder if that's sometimes, you know, Mike Shanahan, his father in his head, you know, a little bit more old schooly because it, it certainly flies in the face of what we're seeing from almost everyone else. They're two it, of the it, most it ended up working coaches, out. him and McVay. It ended up working out because they uh, Dak missed on that deep shot to Cedric Wilson, which that would have if he could connect on that. That's a huge play. He was under pressure, obviously, but before that, yeah, they're at midfield, fourth and one. Debo Samuel sneezes and he gets three yards. Like, let's just let's not overthink this in the future, Kyle. You got to be a little more aggressive on offense. But mm. who are we to say the the Niners now have eleven wins, feeling good going into Lambeau? All right, let us move on. These games are saucy. And now let's head to Orchard Park, where a bloodbath went down. The snap. Josh going to throw it. Takes three steps back. Has all day long to scan the field. Waiting, waiting. Still has time. Runs to his right. Now he's pressured. Gets away from it. Fires one. Into the end zone, and it is caught. Dawson Knox makes the catch in the end zone. It's a Buffalo touchdown. How did he make that happen? Josh Allen had forever to wait for Dawson Knox to come open. Touchdown, Buffalo. That's how it started, and it just never stopped for the Bills. John Murphy with the call. WGR. Josh Allen set a team playoff record with five touchdown passes, including two to Dawson Knox. 
Devin Singletary ran for two scores in the first half. And the Bills put on one of the greatest offensive clinics you'll ever see. Postseason or otherwise, a 47-17 decimation of the rival Patriots in the wildcard playoff game. This is the crazy thing. Greg, let's start here. Because the Bills... Uh, rang up 480 yards of offense on 51 snaps before Mitch Trubisky finished the game with three kneel downs. This is one of those games where it's so historically uh, dominant that there's just tons of stats. Uh, one, the Bills never got to fourth down the entire game. That That's wild. Number two, that 480 yards of total offense that they had it was actually the maximum amount of yards they could have had because they scored every time they took the ball. They went all the way down the field on seven straight possessions. So they had the possibility of gaining 480 yards on those possessions. And they scored every last one of those yards. One of the most unbelievable performances ever. And, uh, you know, Bill Belichick and the Patriots, what can you say? I think it was the greatest performance offensively I mean efficiency wise it's the greatest performance in NFL history how could how could you get better than being the first team to ever have a game without any punts field goals or turnovers like that is they are the first team ever in going back to they usually there's some weird game in like 1920 when like you know like Bronco you know Nagurski or something somehow Nailed scored it. like 77 touchdowns or whatever. Like there's some crazy sort of legs Hirsch like, untouched right. to the end zone 40 times. <laughs> right. Like the highest scoring game is weirdly from 1941, like 77 to 41. But no, they're the first team ever to do it. It's like to, they beat to, Navy to, when all the guys were at war in the Pacific. It's like, <laughs> how are they in the NFL? Like they didn't have a turnover. They didn't turn over on downs. I mean, there was that stack coming out of the last game. Bill Belichick had never coached a team uh, that didn't force uh, a punt. I mean, uh, an opponent didn't punt against them, and they now just did it two times in a row. They just had two perfect games, essentially, against Bill Belichick in a row. And, it, you know, West was on our minds on Saturday with, with West of us, and, and I think he would love Joe Burrow. You know, we, we've, we talked about that, and that was a great performance by Burrow. It was like a sneaky great. He didn't have that many chances to be great and every time he was but he, I think he would have really loved Josh Allen in this performance too he was always a believer in Josh Allen and and didn't like that we were I, I was throwing dirt on him early in his career and, and thought he could be great and this is a guy Josh Allen just at the absolute pinnacle I believe of his craft and he was like that again against the Patriots just a month ago and to do it two times in a row uh, against a Patriots defense that had been highly competitive all year is like one of the the most impressive things we've seen in this entire season. I mean, it was like a perfectly worded poem. Um, it, it was like a novel that devastates you. It was from start to finish. It was flawless. And like, uh, you know, I cannot believe that even 48 hours ago, I was still involved in these um, theoretical Patriots versus Bills, who's better war because I mean, I was offed and taken out behind the woodshed about five minutes into this game. I texted you um, after the first touchdown, game over. And I like to do that sometimes. And I think my record is uh, spotty in a lot of areas, but my game overs um, sometimes are accurate. It was accurate this time. I I love something. If it makes you feel better, Mark, we even could tell 
the la- when you got behind the Bills or the Pats one last time on Thursday show, we could tell you didn't even believe it anymore. So no, it, I was because yeah. I mean, wait, you know, really? Like, I don't. I didn't. Well, know that. well, I don't think Mark believed in the Bills so much, uh, but I, it seemed like your Patriots hope had. been I, I didn't expect the Bills to do what they did here, and I think that in a in a weird AFC, um, it was it was a resounding note. I think though, if you look at the last five weeks for the Patriots. Their defense has fallen off. Their pass rush has fallen off. They can't stop the run. I mean, if you if you want to just look at the way that most Patriots teams under Bill Belichick would finish a season, this was the counter opposite to that. And I just want to read one quick thing that Tim Graham, I love this writer from The Athletic, cover the Bills forever. Um, this was an, his opener. It's, it's, it's brief. It said, it was four degrees at Highmark Stadium, 17 in Greenland, 27 in Moscow, and 13 in Nome, Alaska. The temperature was about 50 degrees where the Buffalo Bills left the New England Patriots. That's the year-round temperature, six feet underground. <laughs> I read that too. That's <laughs> such a great line. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's a, and you know, it did, it did make me think. And the, and the, after the game, the Bills players, they talked about it. They were super annoyed with that wind game, that Monday night game and how the media presented that game. And I, I just find it interesting how, like, you know, there was a, a, a narrative about how the great Belichick had out-schemed Sean McDermott. Like, where is the talk on the other side after yesterday's game? Because that was, an, that was not just a, a play a on-field clinic by the Bills. It was a coaching clinic by the Bills who totally changed some of their – uh, strategies. They were very aggressive in the past as opposed to going run heavy. They attacked the, the Patriots and then New England never made any adjustments or never made any that made any difference to give up su- seven straight touchdowns. That It's almost unfathomable when you think about Bill Belichick and the Patriots that we've known uh, to, for this to have happened, but they just, they had no answers. There was nothing they could do. Well, their defensive line was soft for the last four or five weeks of the season. They were pretty routinely bullied, including by Miami. I thought that was in a game that they made it clear that they really wanted to win, uh, that they were saying they were treating like a playoff game and, and got pushed around physically. Judon ended up, you know, I, I've been on him lately, not playing that much in this game. And apparently has been struggling with an injury. He, he played 20 snaps in this game. Well, that would explain uh, a lot. That 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 helps a little from his vantage point. They were missing, you know, their starting one of their starting cornerbacks who, um, who got COVID, uh, and uh, their replacement, Jawan Williams, which is one of many of the failed second round cornerbacks Belichick's taken over the years, got filleted on on one of the touchdown throws to Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, it was it was also just like one of those nights. Like one team has Josh Allen and the other team doesn't. One team is in like year four or five of building this thing up and I think was just very comfortable in this matchup because how could you not be when three weeks ago you just had the best game, I thought, by any quarterback potentially of the entire NFL season until this game. Josh Allen just did it two times in a row. I mean, he's on such fire that he was trying to throw that ball away to Knox the second time around. I mean, he he said that after the game. He was trying to throw it away. It was he had turned around to go back to the huddle, and then he heard the crowd <laughs> right. go nuts. Right, and and even that ended up turning uh, into a touchdown. I think that was a third down did, actually. So he was, I, if I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. I think he was going to the bench, and he didn't realize it. <laughs> uh, it it's really crazy, but... Like the game essentially fell over on that Micah Hyde interception, which was one of the best defensive plays of the year. So you're right. It was a great coaching job. This this team has done a great job 
Dable and on the defensive side, but it's, it was also like great playmakers making plays. Uh, we, we texted back and forth about that, Dan. And, and to me, like that hide play was just a sensational play that you kind of got to tip your hat to the yeah, guy that made I, it. I was, I was a little harsh on uh, Mac Jones uh, in the immediate aftermath of that, but then you watch it again and it was, you know, it was just a great play. A guy flies into the picture right before it gets there. And I thought the interesting thing... Make an thing, effort, Aguilar. You know, would you? You know. He went full he back seems, on there. He seems stunned. Um, <laughs> no, but I thought what... Yeah. I thought this was going to be a one-sided game for, in favor of the Bills, but I thought it was going to be the defense throttling down on Mac Jones. And, like, Mac Jones was far from the problem in this game. He, it seemed like if the if the Patriots' defense could have just been competitive, it, it this could have been a different game, uh, and yet they weren't. And I think it, it sends you in – usually, if you're the Patriots or any team, if you go into a season with a rookie quarterback and you win double-digit games and you get to the playoffs – uh, even if you lose, it's a it's a success. But to lose this way, and knowing the standard of excellence uh, up there, I, I I wonder. I don't think there's going to be sweeping changes, but perhaps we see more changes than we think on the defensive side of the ball, at the very least. Well, I think they had a lot. I agree, they had a lot to change on defense. I mean, that's a like Dante Hightower in both of these Bills games. I think was was a problem, and that he's a free been- agent. He, that might have been his last game. Kyle Van Noy, you know, Jamie Collins. Actually, I thought Collins played pretty well when they brought him back. It, Lawrence Guy, all these guys have been around. It, it was a slow offense that couldn't get it done. J.C. Jackson's uh, free agent. I think they need to make some changes, but I think they feel, I feel at least like it's a successful year just because of Mac and that they, they need to just juice up the offense uh, because it's an offense first league. And to me, this game was a reminder that like, no matter how good you think your defense is going to be, you can get creamed. You, you mentioned like Mac Jones not being the problem. Like they only had eight drives in this game, Dan. It, it took the Chiefs about six or seven drives to warm up on on Sunday night. <laughs> right. If it if it had taken the Patriots that long, they would have been shut out. Literally, I mean, it, it, the game would was over. They the Chiefs had eight drives in the first half of that game, and and like the B- Bills didn't even have that many the whole game. Was you are right though, Dan. That when <laughs> when the when they won the when the Patriots won that first contest in bizarre weather, uh, and I I fell victim to this because I just have thought this about Belichick for so long that it was a masterful master class of coaching and then when when the last two bills romps um where's the sean mcdermott praise it's like i i hear you and i think that he's got leslie frazier never gets talked about he's done an awesome job i mean brian dable to adjust the offense and tinker it and come in with a new approach i mean he's going to be a head coach soon um Allen running is so huge. Just one, oh my God. I know we we hit this before, but it's one of the reasons Wes loved Josh Allen was because at the end of that rookie year when he just started running like crazy and like taking over the league quietly for a month, like that's been a huge difference since the Tampa game is Josh Allen running at will, and it really makes them hard to stop. And on those first couple drives, especially on third downs, he killed them. And it's a, it's a testament to organizational stability that Josh Allen came in very raw, um, was not good at all his first year, even if he showed maybe some um, strides at the end of that first year. His second year ended with strides, but a really bad playoff exit against Houston, as you guys no doubt remember. Uh, but they they kept the coaching. They they built an offense around him. They they 
adapted the offense as they learned more about their quarterback. And all of a sudden now you have something really special up there in Western New York. And now we're going to get something really special, which is Buffalo at Kansas City. Josh Allen against Patrick Mahomes on Sunday, the late game, the uh, the Jim and Tony game uh, uh, next week. So buckle up. That's going to be wild. By the way, you know how, um, first of all, yes, I was enjoying the game. Of course I am. You have to understand this is this is basically what I have. It's It's, I don't. I'm not trying to rub it in to Patriots fans listening in. It's just like when you see a team dominate your life in a lot of ways to see them get a comeuppance there in such a public way, it kind of feels mm. good. It's as, why I have to detach from Jets the Patriots. Fan. I wouldn't be able to tolerate you, uh, you know, um, I know. these threads and stuff. You know. I understand. Ooh, I understand. He's really gotten in your head then, Greg, if that's your actual strategy. <laughs> that's, that's, it's not intentional, but it you is know, a I had, nice side effect. I had I those feel-good vibes from, uh, from West of this, and I had a couple Tito's, and I, then that game rolled on, and then I watched the, um, the new Oasis documentary about their Nebworth concert last night, and I was just like, "This is a nice Saturday." It got a little your fire day just going. got better and better as it as it as it went. It is along better there. to lose in a blow, I believe, as because I, I think when you lose to a team that's unquestionably better and it's not even close, it's like, what do you do with that? There's nothing. I think, yeah, that's but you better. don't want to you don't want to have a historically bad performance. <laughs> like, cut, sure. take it from me, my team has had a lot of those. You just don't want to be in the history books for well, a bad is, game. I wonder they if Ricky agrees with your Patriots take that it was great to get absolutely your, your <laughs> house blown up by a great. nuclear I'm bomb. Saying it's better, it's I better than like b- blowing it in a painful way where it's if like we should have like done. Have they should, they shouldn't crushed. have done anything more, unfortunately, than they did this year. This yeah. is what they should have done. Maybe maybe what they should have done is have the Chargers win in Week 18, uh, and then I think they would have had a chance to win a playoff <laughs> game. But when, when they got sent to Buffalo, it no was over. No way. Hey, they Ricky, would, this is... What you don't think they... You think the Raiders were competitive in Cincinnati and that there's no way the Patriots would have been competitive. Uh, it's a it's a different situation. That team that showed up for Wild Card Weekend, yeah, they looked like they did not belong. Belichick actually looked freezing. He yeah, just he looked so freezing. Cold. He was like, how can I get this? What? How much fabric can I put over my face? Ugh. Hey, it was Ricky. two degrees. He better be free. How could he not be freezing? Well, I mean, I know, <laughs> but you know how like the people that are out there getting their, their butts thumped, you're thinking like, how quickly... Do we get on a plane? I'll be in the Bahamas four days from now. It's like it's getting colder and colder. If you're winning, you know, if you're the Bills and you've been taking those pills they've been talking about, you're warm. You're good. Um, the pills. Uh, Ricky, here in the twilight of your 20s, mm-hmm. I just want you to know that this is this is probably how it's going to be from now on. What, that the Patriots are, like, losing? Mm. Yeah, they're Until not special late 40s. anymore, so I'm Until sorry. So you're late okay. 40s. So early. giving you, you know, a heads I'm, up. I'm okay with it. Like, I... I it's it sucked and like the group chat with my friends from home like was starting off very very funny <laughs> and then it like it the the text got funnier and funnier as time went on and sort of i see where greg's coming from with the sentiment because i did like you know pour a cocktail and i'm laying on on the couch and i'm like literally laughing out loud like it, it was laughable like people are saying and i was like tweeting and like having a great time like going off on twitter and people were like you're such a like miserable pat so i'm like i had a great time like there was they you were just no drunk business. That's all. No, I, I, I wasn't. I, I mean, was it, maybe by the, the end, early on, it, I don't know if you were having a great time. It's, you know the, there, yeah. it's, there's still something novel about it for <laughs> Patriots fans, though. It, for those that find enjoyment in that moment, I, I get yeah. what you're saying. My but accent. When that's like 18, out. 19 years ago, in a row, 
it becomes a little le- it becomes less novel. It yeah. becomes more um, tiresome. Yeah, all I, of a sudden I, I'm like dragging out my A's and that happens. I'm like, make a yeah. damn stop. They can't stop anything. <laughs> I, I found that I know a lot of people from New England that maybe relocate and, and you hang out with them, yeah. and that accent will pop out after mm. a few drinks. Or Brian Kelly, for instance, could could, could right. be a New Englander that goes somewhere else and adopts a new dialect. I feel right. like I was lower on this Patriots team, and then you know throughout than than some Patriots fans, uh, but I, I think I'm higher on Mac Jones than no, he, than most the than playoffs. than them. That's like great. I it, I right. feel like it was a successful season because I I really do believe that Mac Jones is going to be like a top 10 type of quarterback for most of his career. And it, and it, I know it's early and I'm counting on him to get into that Joe Burrow plan that he somehow made his arms way stronger in year two. Cause he, cause Mac Jones needs that and like build up his, his body. Cause that's, that's not there. But the fact that they found a quarterback, I'm like, okay. And a great defensive tackle in the Before, second round. I'm like, that's, yeah, that's great. That matters more to me. <laughs> yeah. Not great, but I think that's like, that's a huge win. I, I know what you're win. saying. Before we move on, Dan, I sent a text um, yesterday at 6.31 p.m., so it was still relatively early where it's like, you know, there's still time left in this game. I sent a text to Greg. Have you ever seen a more embarrassing game with like 400 question marks? And he responds, yes, plenty. Oh, so great. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to text you. I mean... Oh, oh, 09 Ravens is because you have to you have to uh, adjust for expectations. Greg is such a romantic. You just want to spend hours just like, I can't. I can't. Hey, you know what I would love, by the way? You know how if you go on YouTube and there's a listen to Bohemian Rhapsody, but only Freddie Mercury's vocals. And you're just like, wow, that guy was an amazing talent. I want the radio telecast of the Patriots from yesterday, but it's only Zolak. (laughs) Can anyone do that for me? I will. I will pay you. Or at least say thank you on Twitter. My All guess right. is it, it's like the Drew Brees version of that on NBC. Just silence for most of the broadcast. Just total silence. <laughs> not a great, not a great uh, game for Drew. All right, let's take a break and then hit the rest of the uh, weekend games. In the pocket. Step up, firing down the near side. Kelsey at the 20, 15 to the 10, and into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City on a tightrope catch and run of 48 yards on third and 20 with 13 seconds remaining in the second quarter. Oh, yes, the Kansas City Chiefs started slow, but when that team turns it on, they still are special. 21 points. In the second quarter, capped by that late touchdown by Travis Kelsey. They had 21 more in the second half. Final score, Chiefs 42, Steelers 21. The zombie Steelers are no more. Finally, a double tap. You you guys got to shoot them in the head. And the Chiefs did it. And, uh, Mark, this was a game that started out as a potential nightmare for Kansas City because the offense couldn't quite get in gear. Pittsburgh's offense was doing nothing as we expected. But then disaster strikes, a uh, interception by Mahomes on a tip pass, and then a sack fum- or a uh, running back fumble recovered and score a touchdown by T.J. Watt, and all of a sudden you got the defensive score. You're losing as the as halftime nears, but that all got quickly wiped away once Kansas City woke up. Yeah, and I think like you know watching this because we were. I guess we were, why, why do we even have to qualify that we were texting during, and we're texting all the time about everything every day. So just well, especially that we now are. that they won't let us do the show together. Oh yeah. 
Well, that's very. We gotta, fair. we gotta, we gotta make a stand here. We gotta get back into the studio, man. Well, we need to come. You know, we need to come up with our own plan, and maybe we gotta get Fauci on our side. We gotta get Fauci on the horn and have yep. Fauci tell the shadowy league figures, just like let the guys in the studio, like let them in the studio, let them do the show. Fauci, Frank Signetti, anyone that can help us out and give us a little bit of an edge here. I mean, I, the game was enjoyable, Frank Zanetti actually. just got a uh, head coaching job. I don't know if you saw that. I know, he's that. busy. We'll see how long he keeps that, but you're right. He, I liked him in it. Well, I liked him in his other role. I'm just saying he's so valuable. Who said he's NFL. not still doing that? He's definitely, he's still moonlighting as a private eye. Frank Signetti's on the case. As right. long as he's still doing it, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Just don't ditch that thing. That's in his blood. I, yeah, that's, that's, what, what we yeah. were going to say to each other, we were enjoying the game, I think, because it was like, okay, we knew, I think the end result was always going to probably be a romp. But it didn't look that way early, and he was like, is this game getting weirder and weirder by the minute? And then suddenly, uh, Patrick Mahomes throws five touchdowns in the span of 10 minutes and 30 seconds, which has obviously never happened before in the NFL playoffs. Is that true? Is that the actual stat? Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, it's insane. It's insane. I mean, to the point where, I mean, we track these games. Whoa. But I was, like, eating tacos and kind of wandering around the house no, you and changing shirts during like the third, fourth quarter. Cause it's like, this thing is so far cooked and the Steelers are such an unwatchable mess on offense. And it was big Ben's final performance. Um, but it was sad to me. It was a, rem- a reminder of like, and I know that there's, you know, people just dis- dislike big Ben in general, but if you are a quarterback that's cooked, don't come back for that final season. Cause you know what? The Steelers actually, I think had a pretty enjoyable campaign for Steelers fans. But Big Ben watching him, I just found it depressing. I mean, it was that's how it usually inspiring. ends. Like the like, fans loved it, though they they really did. Like Damashek, Damashek is one of his favorites. He, but my friend right. Anthony, who I do the podcast with, he was the same way. They they like loved this season. Like it was almost like this proves that Tomlin can never have a losing season, and that like they were they should have been like a four win team, and here they are. So I get that as a fan. It's easy to see why it was enjoyable. I'm just speaking that like something about watching Big Ben. If you look at his throw chart. It was like a smattering of 150 passes at the line of scrimmage. Like they just, they're defunct. I mean, it happens. And, it happened. Right. This is how it happens for most guys. It's just like people, it's like Tom Brady has, has makes it feel like this is something that doesn't happen, but it happened to Eli Manning. It happened to Peyton Manning. It happened to Big Ben. It happened to, you name the quarterback and just about every guy has kind of that like, you wish he would have retired a year or two earlier, and then you have that one last season. Mm. And like, if Big Ben Didn't would have hung to around, Philip Rivers, oh yeah, you know. yeah, he was just right first run, one and done throughout. It was very good. He was very, but consistent. he was he was like he did it. The he year was before. okay. You got to admit, you got to admit, he did it the year before. Deep, he he fell was off deeply the cliff. okay. He was, but yes, you're right. He might have been really bad if he came back. Uh, that's that's fair. But yeah, I just think like. This he has to get out of here now because if he would have hung around one more year, it would have been like, we're, this is how we're going to remember the guy. It's like, uh, I think I've used this analogy before, but how the Simpsons being on the air still and being just, uh, to me, subpar for now almost like 15, 20 years, it, it kind of like reframes and you re- don't realize that it was like one of the greatest shows of all time for the first eight years or so of its existence. So Ben needed to go. They, they need to, obviously they have a lot of work to do the Steelers because they got to find a quarterback because he's not on the roster and they got to add to the, the, the blocking obviously just needs to be better. They had 20 carries for 56 yards in this game. Najee Harris, who otherwise had a very good rookie year, 12 for 29 in this game. Um, so the offense just kind of needs a real jolt and getting big Ben out the door will help. 
Right. That's that's the issue with Tomlin. They have not been the same since Mike Munchak left the, their offensive line coach. And that's that's something Tomlin hasn't necessarily shown that right now he has the wherewithal to fix is is their offense and the right uh, coaching decisions. Because, yeah, they had a chance to win this game. They, they stopped the Chiefs for five drives scoreless and forced two turnovers. So five drives usually gets you to halftime. Like One of those turnovers resulting in a touchdown. Right. So we should like five drives usually gets you to halftime as a defense. So you scored seven points. You gave up zero. You forced another turnover to put them in plus territory. Like they, they really could have been in this game. And yet instead when Mahomes got going, I mean, it really got going, and that it just reminded me of those other Chiefs playoffs wins that they had when they were really rolling. I'm sure they're going to think that, too, that it's like, oh, this is just like that Texans game. It's just like that Titans game. We can spot anyone. You don't want to be spotting the Bills next week, but if if they do, like they're going to feel like they can do anything, to your, and I to believe your point, they can. To your point, this was how Pittsburgh's offense went when the game was still in doubt. This is their drive chart. Three plays, zero yards. Three plays, two yards. Three plays, negative three yards. Then they get the interception. They go five plays, eight yards. Then they go six plays, 20 yards. Then they force the fumble and score the touchdown. So now they're winning uh, 7 nothing somehow. Immediately give up a 78-yard touchdown drive. Go three, uh, three plays, eight yards the next drive. Give up another touchdown. Three plays, five yards. Give up another touchdown. Halftime, game over. They weren't yeah, much better than the Mike Glennon Giants. By the, end, by the last three or four weeks, they were about the number 29, number 30 offense in the league. That's why, I, I mean, chance to win. The defense gave them that chance early, and then the floor falls out. I thought one thing for the Chiefs going forward, Jarek McKinnon, who – you know, has been an afterthought for years, played a really good game and fits really well into that offense. And they need someone out of the backfield to be a spark plug like that. And like that, I just think he has a bigger role than expected, depending on who's available. I, I mean, he they, had 142 yards. Yeah, they've been fantastic. waiting two years for Clyde Edwards Solaire to make a big impact and or stay healthy. And maybe he's back next week, but I'm, I'm with you. Like McKinnon, you know, it's, it's funny. Like they, with the great Mahomes at the controls, and you have all that speed with Hardman and Tyreek Hill. How and of course Travis Kelsey is on the field. Like this, I think was and in, in general this these last three or four weeks, they still have it. Like that's still in their DNA, and they can go on a heater now. And it's why I think they're the best team in the AFC. Um, and I mm. think they're. The, I, I think they're probably. If I had to, like, who's going to win the AFC? Who's going to come out of this in the next three weeks? The Chiefs are my pick because they're special on that level. Um, but it's going to be wild because I think the, all these teams that have survived now and the Titans, of course, now, the Bengals, the Bills, these are all, I think, really good teams. It's going to be fun to see how this AFC shakes out. I'm glad we get any Chiefs-Bills. On one hand, I was like, oh, I wish that was the championship game. But then I thought, no, that's stupid because then that game might not – you might not even get it. And, like, I'm just glad we're getting it. Like, it's great to have Allen. Like, these are the two guys who are fighting for AFC supremacy. I, I know maybe that's – maybe the winner of Titans-Bengals makes the Super Bowl. We'll see. But these two guys have been the guys – the Chiefs are trying to get to their fourth straight AFC title game. That's incredible. Mc- McKinnon, just quickly, I think is kind of an amazing story. He missed two entire years. He tore his ACL, missed the entire next season too. Like Shanahan believed in him enough to give him that huge contract 
He had 12 carries this year. It's not, <laughs> he had more he had more touches tonight than he had in the entire season and he was electric in that game. I'm with you that he he should be a big time factor next year and shout out to uh Travis Kelsey's mom for making it to both her kids games. She was somehow at the Eagles game and made it to the Chiefs game by like the fourth quarter Can in time to see Travis uh, throw the touchdown. Cuz I don't want to be a jerk but did she fly commercial or private? I don't know. That That's matters. That's a very good question. If she flew private, you know, check your privilege. What do you, what do you want me to do? Throw a party? She flew I mean, commercial. Now we're talking. My guess is she probably threw commercial. I only know this because, like, the NFL Twitter account was sending this nonsense out. I interviewed her once. Very um, engaging, uh, interesting woman. There are certain uh, Mark Sessler uh, projects that you hear a lot about. The Mark Sessler Mother's Day uh, long well, form the, gets a lot of run on the show. It was largely a disaster because one of the moms was the mom to a player that got um, embedded in such a large controversy that we had to pull yes. his part out of the story, and it was probably like 40% of it. And we had an executive that used to work at our company that said, that blamed me for oh. the whole thing and said, why are you a child or something like that? And I was just like, why, why did I ever sign up for this hideous assignment? First of all, yeah, Mark only had like six projects. So we hear about him a lot. You know, it's like these, those, these little long form, these long form type things. So I don't, I think we hear the about mother's, him. the mother's day but one has gotten a lot of juice for sure. Oh, there. She Ubered to the airport. Uh, she's definitely uh, in commercial and in coach. What a job. Look at that. I got to give it up. There she is. She's flying commercial. That's Donna Kelsey. And I don't know if she's in the extended leg room section, but that's, that doesn't, doesn't look matter. Like it. That's neither that, here that, nor there. That flight doesn't look like it even has it. That's two I'm seats really on impressed. each side. That's a great mom. I mean, moms you, are the best. You want, her, what, you want her to be riding like luggage, basically, to earn your approval, <laughs> <Yeah>. Dan. <laughs> Dan like, wants she's she's commercial. The, the, we're, not, we're still, still not good like, enough. Stick them with the dogs, you know? I want her in the, the John Candy U-Haul from Home Alone. It's just rumbling across the Midwest. Uh, No. All right. So there you go. So the Chiefs roll on. Like I said, we are set up for a glorious matchup. Bills Chiefs next week at Kansas City. Uh, But let's roll on. All right. Let's take a break. The final game of the weekend, the early game on Sunday, it was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beginning the defense of their championship in the playoffs. It went to plan. Here's the play, dropping to throw Brady, looks toward the end zone, throws, caught ball, Evans, he's got a Tampa Bay touchdown, does a somersault, and the box put the dagger in the heart of the Eagles. <laughs> Gene Deckerhoff, WFUS, with the call. The Buccaneers started hot. And coasted to the finish against an over, overmatched Eagles team. Final score 31-15. Tampa Bay set the tempo from the very beginning. Brady, Tom Brady led a pair of long touchdown drives in the opening quarter. They built a, built a 17-0 lead by halftime. Coast to the finish line. A little sloppy there in the fourth quarter. Allowed the Eagles to do that thing the Eagles did in the beginning of the year. Remember when they had all those garbage time points? They did it again here. Put up 15 in the fourth. To make it look somewhat presentable, uh, but Mark, this was a this was a Bucks team ready to chase that Lombardi again, an Eagles team that was, you know, probably shouldn't have been here in the first place. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, this is the one that got a lot of, along with the Steelers game, a lot of like, why do we have a seventh seed? 
operating at this time of year. And I mean, I get it. Um, you know, the Bucks were a six seed last year, so you know it can go both ways. But oh, yeah. I, I thought this was all about Tampa's defense, and um, you know, a Todd Bowles authored gem, absolutely beautiful. And like they, they, they you know, I love that they basically asked him, like, "Are you concerned about Philly's ground game?" And he said, "No, just I'm simply not concerned at all." And the guys like Jordan Whitehead. Antoine Winfield just shut it down early on. And the thing for me that le- that I, I'd be concerned with going forward is this: that after Tristan Wirfs went out, that I, I thought that Brady was hit a lot. Um, he was hassled, and yeah, they went on and scored their points. But a lot, if you look at their drive chart post Wirfs injury, uh, they were pretty much taken out of the. They, their offense was not the same on any level, and I, you know, and Brady's fine throwing to a bunch of guys who'd be like third or fourth stringers on other teams because of their injuries. But I don't know if that's survivable if he's operating as one of the Dave Damashek sort of Jenga type pieces. Hmm. Yeah, Ryan Jensen too, the center, got hurt and then came back and seemed to play pretty well when he returned. But worse is a huge loss. You go from a uh, – was he first team All-Pro this year? I think he might have been. He wasn't he's played pro, every yeah. snap for them for so, two years. So, so you go from the very best uh, to a backup that struggled – Brady had the lowest time to throw of any game by a quarterback this year. So he was just getting rid of that ball. I think that was the game plan by, anyways. By any quarterback or for the Bucks? I believe by any quarterback, yeah, uh, what? of any really? game this year. 2.1 seconds, like just getting it, getting rid Ooh. of the ball. And then he also had the lowest, you know, a dot average depth of target of any Bucks game this year. So they were throwing it short. I think that was the game plan, but it also cranked up because of the offensive line. It made sense this week, but that it's a Bruce Arians offense. You need to be able to drop back seven steps sometimes when you want to and throw it deep. And they're going to need to, I think in future weeks. So I, I think that's well said, but they, they manage games as well as any team I've ever seen. Like, you can look at this box score at the end and the yards for play look kind of even. And this happens a lot with Bucks games. But when you watch the game, they they really control it. They're such a veteran team and veteran coaches that I think the box scores sometimes lie with the lie when it comes to the Bucks and definitely with this game. It was such a take care of business game. It was yeah. It, there was just there was just a, a general vibe around it that you know they're they're playing the the Milton Berle game. We're you know we're going to show what we need to show to take care of business, move on. Milton Berle game. And, it and reminds me of like Grand Slam tennis matches this NFL weekend in that like the higher seeds like sometimes you're like watching the early rounds almost to just get information on what you think for the next rounds. The NFL is not supposed to be like that. You know, like I you know I'm looking at it and thinking, "Ooh, his timing with Tyler Johnson is is a little off." You know, that's not a great sign for the future. But oh, okay, the defense is healthy now. That's a great sign for the future. You should be just worried about this week. That's not how the playoffs are supposed to be. I don't know. Sorry. Do you think if you're Philly, because you know you've got teams like Baltimore out there that like we are a run team. We're gonna that's our identity because of our quarterback X, Y, and Z. I I don't know if Philly comes back next year with the same exact offense that they turned into. You know, a third of the way into the year, I maybe, but it just it felt like they were. To, it seems to limit them at times in a big way. I mean, they they made the playoffs by beating a bunch of bad teams late, and I, I just thought once you like them, they're the last team you wanted to go down. Nobody wants to go down two touchdowns early, but like they needed to. It had to be their run game that that really di- dictated a lot of things in this game. And when they couldn't do that, you put everything on Jalen Hurts. And I know with those late scores, it made it look much better statistically. But I, I thought. Hertz was a little 
overwhelmed in this game. Brian Baldy, we did uh, some great Sky Sports uh, work today uh, with Neil and the gang over there. And, and Baldy had a, a same takeaway that it just felt like the game was a little too big for Hertz. I, I almost thought, I wonder if Mark's boy Minshew gets in this game to try to spark him. But ultimately, I guess they decided they're better off with Hertz, who, by the way, and teams hide this stuff all the time. And the, after the game, he's wearing that walking boot again. And he acknowledged like, yeah, man, that ankle injury I suffered a month ago, that that banged me up. And you could see it like when he's scrambling um, on Sunday, he's not moving with the same explosiveness that he had earlier in the season. So I, once you take that element away from this team, they are, they become very ordinary on offense. They only ran the ball nine times other than Hertz's runs. I mean, it well, was seven. Was a lot it was of three and outs and stuff. Right, it was too. seventeen I mean, nothing, and it was a lot of you know before you knew it, and it was a lot of short drives. So that's how that happens. But that's that's a disaster uh, scenario for the Eagles. The Bucks dominated them. You're right. It was one of Hertz's worst games. He he wasn't accurate. He was a little late on decisions. Troy Aikman was annoyed because I think he was worried this was what was going to happen to the Eagles. He was annoyed he didn't get the Cowboys game that apparently <laughs> CBS paid for that time slot, like extra money to have the Sunday afternoon playoff spot. And basically whatever the best game is, they're going to give that to him. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not just, it's not just, I think with Troy and we have the sound. So I want to, cause Troy eventually okay, bubbled sorry. over in the, no, no, that you did a nice job setting up. He eventually bubbled <laughs> over in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it wasn't just that there was some shenanigans and, and some payola involved with CBS getting the best NFL. FC game in the first round of playoffs. It's that Tony got it. Romo, the Cowboys quarterback that doesn't have any rings. And here I'm, I'm Aikman. I'm Aikman. I got three. And I'm chopped liver. Let's listen to uh, Troy Aikman boil over uh, because he got stuck with the bad NFC game on Sunday. On Troy and that game coming up, which is on CBS, which is the Dallas Cowboys hosting the San Francisco 49ers. We saw San Francisco with that overtime win in L.A. last weekend, that's going to be a good game. It's going to be a great game. Uh, I mean, a really good game. I think there's a lot of people that like to be calling that game. (laughs) But it should be a lot of fun. (laughs) Did you see Aikman's looking at Buck? He said, it's going to be a great game. And he's looking at him and he's thinking, should I say it? Should I say what I've been yelling about behind the scenes for days now? Oh, screw it. I'm going to say it. I wish we were calling that game. (laughs) I love it. I love Aikman. I love it. It was yeah. funny. His his exasperation was was one of the more entertaining parts of this. I'm I never liked the seven seed because I just thought twelve was the perfect number. But I think arguing against the seven seed just because these two games were bad uh, is the wrong ar- argument. Just because I think that's that's random. You watch it's such a small sample size. You watch games on any given weekend and usually this would be a pretty good game and usually they're closer. It didn't work out that way, but like you could have two great two, seven games next year very easily. And then will everyone be back on board? I I like 12 because 12 made sense to me, but, but I I think it's a little random. We got, you need like a 10 year sample size before we judge the seventh seed. But I, I three out of four of the games have, have stunk by the way. Saints bears stunk. Bill's Colts was actually the best game. Maybe a wild card weekend last, year it's it's time consuming you're asking people to sit down for three and a half hours and watch a a game that has zero competitive value and it's the playoffs it's not it's not the same as week eight or week 12 it should it shouldn't be and so it is an eyesore and like it it, if you get three or four years into this and that's the way it is 
it's not a good product for the NFL. And I think they, you know, they're never going to change it. They'll probably add two more playoff teams, if anything. All I know is the Steelers were a mediocre team with the worst quarterback in the league. Um, this team, this Eagles team, was a deeply middling team. The a Matt Nagy like post year one Bears team made the playoffs last year, and they were completely forgettable. That Colts team, I know Greg loves them because Philip Rivers was on it, but that is not a very memorable team. And they went out. That was a done. good team. I mean, they they were ahead in uh, right. Buffalo in the fourth quarter against the two. But they're but Greg, t- for you wanting sample size, they're the aberration, right? No, no, you're right. I mean, if I guess what I'm saying, it's a little random. It's like we could have easily had the Chargers in, you know, in that seven spot, and then maybe that's the game of the weekend. A lot of this just comes. Well, down that's true. That would have been to, to, to right. It just it just increases the chances tenfold that yeah, a team that right. shouldn't be playing in the bracket is in the bracket. But guess what? It makes more money for the league, and we're also told that it, it makes the end of the regular season more competitive with there being uh, not only one team getting the bye. I don't know if that's true or not, but that we're, that's what we're told. You know, we're told a lot of things as uh, humans that we just do what we're told and hope things work out and they don't always work out. I'm a good little boy and I will say I think it's a good product. Keep doing it. Make it make the season another three or four weeks long. Add four more playoff teams. Have the season start in late July and go until <laughs> early April. It's also weird. The bu- We don't know who the Bucks are are playing. Yeah, they're playing the the Monday night winner, but it's just weird on Sunday night. We don't know who they're playing, but that, like- that will be a great game. And I, I loved... Uh, as a as a as someone who likes this Bucks team, like to see the defense show up, they they just look like a team that was ready for the playoffs to start, and that was the defense that we saw from a year ago. Yeah, Todd Bowles all week was hearing about how dangerous this Eagles running game is, and this is upset city, and 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 the Bulls Assance was just like, bro, just wait, <laughs> wait. All right, now you guys got to wait a couple days before you hear us again. Tuesday, we're uh, going to be on the scene uh, for Monday Night Football, uh, the primetime game between the Rams and the Cardinals. I like whoever comes out of that game, barring some type of like mystical performance. I'm going to pick the Bucks, but that pass rush, that offensive line issue for the Bucks is going to be trouble. I'm thinking about Aaron Donald and Von Miller potentially, or Chandler Jones. I mean. Interesting. Well, look what look what it did to the Chiefs a year ago. So I mean, it's like very these, good point. These tackles are gold. It was a long time ago, but the Rams should have some confidence. Uh, pretty pretty soundly beating the Bucks way back in what was that week three? If if they get through, I'm not I'm not counting anything, especially after Mark apparently switched his lock. I thought he got his lock right. I thought you got the 49ers right, but then you sent the tweet out. <laughs> after the 49ers had won confusedly saying didn't, I lock, didn't the I lock the Cardinals at the end of our show or am I misremembering that I don't remember I, I switched it to the Cardinals you did say that I did hear you say that at some point but I, it's hard to keep track of all I think that I, means I, that I, you locked four different teams Mark right well it's <laughs> it's not a great feeling because I kind of forgot who I had previously locked it was did I I mean I have to go back and listen to the show now because I thought I went Patriots Niners then Cardinals um, but to find out that according to this, to the, to the official guy, the site that like I had picked the Niners and then moved off that and they had won. The man has like, a name. What, what am I, what am I doing here? What? Lock it up. Lock, lock it up. Guy. His name is lock it up. ATN lock it up. <laughs> That's what I'll call him. Lock it up. Uh, no, you did pick three. I think we can get to the bottom of this right now, Mark, because you initially you got hot in the pants 
Hey, Ricky nailed that lock, by the way, while you're trying to figure this Good out. Good job, she, Rick. She's she's locked two in a row of uh, Bills over Patriots. So you've really got a good beat on this on this matchup here. I think you got super hot in the pants and locked up the Bengals, I think. And then you moved to the Patriots, and then you... No, no, I think it started with the Patriots. All right, we'll, started we'll have with to check the Patriots. The... Yeah. Then the Niners. Uh, then the Niners. And then I do think you switched to the Cardinals at the very end and... When I'm going to be there, and so I have something. Now I'm not root. You know, I am contractually obligated to say pretty things about the Rams, but um, I, I, I am not really rooting for either team. But I'd like. To I would see, like to make please, it clear on behalf of the lock. rest of us on the podcast, we are not contractually obligated to say nice things about the Rams. Right. Wait, what are you talking about? That's way about? in your head, Mark. It's like my kids are Rams fans, and I can't even like get it in me to like be particularly like a big fan. I mean, I'm like I'm, I'm happy for them. You they, can choose to believe me or them. <laughs> So you need the Cardinals to win in L.A. or the, the lock comp is pretty much over. You, it's funny because like you, you referred but... back at some point. I don't remember what program it was or what of like uh, you offhandedly mentioned how you had locked up the Cardinals. And I was like, did you? I don't I never was there for that. Someone else checked the tape. I don't have time. <laughs> Check it by tomorrow night. <laughs> I think we I should just let time. it stand as Cardinals and we move forward. Right. It, tra- it takes the stakes of that game. Um, and Amsterdam, well, although I'm taking da- my child. Of course, Dan home, would say that Amsterdam. after. Uh, Listen, I'm just taking care of business. I don't. After I, watching uh, <laughs> the Bowles of sounds. <laughs> Finally, Todd Bowles comes through for me. Um, it actually wasn't. It was not Todd's fault the way things went in New York. He does deserve a, a second big chair. We'll see it had to hurt I, you I when, when Troy just like out of nowhere uh, had a sniper fire of like, oh, you can't count. Todd Bowles' time in New York, that's a mess of an organization like he was. But they are. Who well, said that course, more than me course, on this podcast? Of course. Of course. Yeah. When people say that and then they go, oh, sorry, Dan. It's like, dude, I know the Jets suck and are run poorly. No one knows better than me. Anyway. Well, maybe your dad, but no one beyond your dad. At least the old man got to see Namath. But we don't need well, to talk about the Jets point. right now. The no. Jets don't exist right now. Only a few teams are left, and we're going to get to them. Uh, so Tuesday, you'll hear from us again. The Around the NFL broadcast will be back at the end of next week. And, of course, we have our, our preview show. So another big week for the podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening. Um, congratulations, Cincinnati and all the Westlings, who, by the way, locked up the Bengals successfully. I think we all hit on our locks uh, leading into this Monday night game. So... A lot to be excited about, and thank you for listening. And that's it. Till Tuesday. Yes. Eat the